Hey everyone, this is Dr. William Clark here. So glad that you're joining us for the Dr. William Clark podcast. This podcast is focused on helping nonprofits simplify the fundraising processes they use so they can build six-figure programs without chasing funders. I don't know about you, but I wish I knew this information before I started working in the nonprofit world years ago. But I'm here to help you build six-figure programs, and I'm here to help you on your journey. So would you be so kind to not only listen to this podcast, would you also rate, would you also subscribe, would you also comment on this podcast wherever you're listening and lastly would you also be kind enough to share this podcast with a friend or a colleague who you believe can benefit from the content we're sharing now we are here to help and support you on this journey and i believe that we have some resources that can help you quite a bit so go ahead like comment subscribe and share this podcast now let's jump into our show all right, folks, I want to welcome you into the room, Chris, Kareen, Natalie, Charles. Thank you for hanging out with us and uh, Lakeisha. And for those that are going to be listening to this afterwards, I'm glad to have you in the house. My name is Dr. William Clark. Super excited to be with you today. I want to uh, quickly talk about how to acquire a building for your nonprofit organization. I'm going to walk through eight things you can do to acquire property. I'm going to walk through eight things you can do to finance that particular property. But before I jump into that particular or uh, this content and the strategies, I got to let you know that it's not not necessary to acquire property. For those of you that feel the pressure, that feel that you just have to do this because it's the next thing to do because you now just got your 501c3, I want to let you know that you do not have to acquire a property that is self-inflicted pressure. And it's a perception of what's next and what we got to do next for our nonprofit organization. Particularly if you're a new organization, if you're a newbie, if your organization is less than three to five years old, do not feel the pressure to do what I'm about to say do because it's not one it might not happen uh, two it might not uh, pan out the way you want and then three which is probably most important you might not be able to afford what I'm about to say now even if you're able to get your hands on a property free of charge which is one of the things I want to talk about in a moment the thing that I don't want to see you do is acquire property and not be able to maintain and sustain this particular property. That's very difficult to do, right? In terms of getting, do all this hard work to acquire property and then all of a sudden you can't even keep the property because you don't have the cash flow to pay the bills, the utilities, the maintenance, the upkeep, and everything else that's required to run a successful nonprofit business. So as a nonprofit entrepreneur, I'm going to encourage you to hear this content. I'm going to encourage you to take notes but be cautious with what you do with this information. So with that being said, I'm going to invite you guys up to the stage if you're in Clubhouse to come and hang out with us for better audio quality, but also to ask your questions and to engage. Um, so let's talk about the eight things you can do, eight steps you can take to acquire uh, a property for your nonprofit organization. Number one, uh, the easiest and the hardest is to get a property donated from a donor. This can come from somebody who's wealthy, somebody who loves you, somebody who knows you, somebody who's a stranger. People can uh, donate a property to you for whatever reason. So that is possible. Uh, it can be difficult to do because that typically requires you to have a relationship with someone and uh, that can be very challenging for some people. So it's it sounds easy, but it also is challenging at the same time. The second thing you can do is to purchase property for a dollar from your city, town, or municipality. Again, one of those things you hear about, it is true, but it's also an enigma in part because one, it doesn't happen all the time. It's not a, a 365 day a year offer within most, if not all towns around or cities around the country, but 
But the other thing, too, uh, what I've learned is that most cities require you to come to the table with a plan on how you're going to develop this $1 property because these $1 properties uh, are cheap for a reason. They want you to redevelop the property and or the land. And so you're going to have to come with the architectural design, sometimes an engineering design. Sometimes you got to mitigate some uh, some of the, the ground because some of the ground might not be um, – uh, if you start to disturb the ground, it might cause kind of a ruckus in the community. And so you got to account for all that. And I got to tell you, architects are not cheap. Engineers are not cheap, let alone going through the actual redevelopment process. So what started out as a dollar really is going to cost you several tens of thousands of dollars way before you break ground if you're approved for the acquisition of a property. So as you get excited about the $1 purchase, be aware of what comes uh, along with that. Next, number three, the third way to purchase a property is to buy a property market value. Uh, as of this particular podcast recording in 2021, we're wrapping it up in December 6, 2021. Prices have been going through the roof all year in the middle of COVID. And so buying market rate value, uh, you can do it if you can find the money to pay these exorbitant prices. Uh, number four, purchase from a private owner who holds the mortgage for the organization at favorable terms. This is something that we call an uh, owner-held mortgage. Again, possible, but if you're not a real estate investor, or if you're not well versed in this world, this can be challenging. Number five, purchase unlisted or off market properties through wholesale agreements. Again, I'm talking real estate language to real estate investors that are in the room who are listening to the podcast. Y'all know exactly what that is. For those of you who are not a part of the real estate world, you don't even know what I'm talking about, right? But wholesale properties can be an affordable option if you know where to get them and if you know somebody who has those uh, portfolio properties available for acquisition. Number six, you can purchase property uh, for the tax uh, taxes that are owed on the property, or these are also called tax lien sales. Again, you can do this within your city, town, or municipality, but they are also very competitive. Uh, number seven, purchase property under value from a bank via a short sale or pre-foreclosure. Uh, again, uh, that can be competitive, also an option, but also in some cases, foreclosures and pre-foreclosures can be just uh, not uh, a, a useful strategy going forward because the prices just doesn't make sense. And then the last uh, option that I have here, number eight, is to rent with the intent to purchase or what we call lease to purchase. Okay. And you can also just simply lease a property. Now, I know that I seem to have provided kind of um, the pros and cons of each of these options, but I wanted to do that because uh, for those of you who are curious about this topic, you should be aware what's going to be asked of you, what's required of you, and what's expected of you if you decide to acquire a property. Uh, but let's quickly talk about eight ways to finance a property if you were able to get your hands on one of these properties in any of the ways that I listed above. First way to, uh, uh, to uh, finance a property is to do a contract or fee for service. So what that means is one of the revenue sources a nonprofit can take advantage of uh, is to generate revenue from a contract, contract from your state, the federal government, your city, or a partner. And if you have a contract in place where revenue's coming in, you can you can uh, create a budget within that contract that pays for a property, the acquisition of a property, et cetera. Again, talk to your accountant about that. Number two, apply for unrestricted or capacity grants. Okay, so these 
these are enigmas as well. Everybody loves to talk about unrestricted grants, but unrestricted grants are hard to find. And if you can't find them, they are highly competitive and designed for organizations that have standing, that are mature, that have the capacity to handle this type of money. We're talking about six-figure money in most cases. If you do get your hands on unrestricted grants at a smaller amount, you'll notice that these smaller amounts are not necessarily useful in helping you accomplish any of the financial goals you have, right? So you can get a, a $2,500 grant from Home Depot, $5,000 grant from Walmart, which is great, but that does not do anything to advance your calls unless you know how to acquire property uh, at a, a steep discount rate and to use those funds wisely. Number three, you can get a donation from somebody, a donor, to give you the amount of money you need to purchase a particular property. Number four, you can use sponsorship dollars. We talk about sponsorships a lot within the podcast. And if you look at some of the historical uh, uh, podcast uh, sessions we held on this topic, it's possible. Again, it's going to require you to think strategically about this. Number five, you can utilize owner help mortgage. We talked about that. So owner help mortgages is when the seller says, I will finance the property to you. You pay me a monthly fee in the form of like a rent or lease fee, and we will pay it over a period of time. And at such time when you've paid off your entire debt, then a property will be signed over to you. Uh, it's no different than a traditional bank, except that it's not a bank. It's just owner held. It's held by the current owner. Um, number six, utilize a traditional mortgage that is available to you. You got to understand, though, uh, if your organization cannot qualify for a mortgage on its own or does not have business credit, then it's likely that you will have to uh, support that, whether you're getting the mortgage or you're on the hook for it as a personal guarantor. Uh, that uh, gets into a totally different topic around personal credit, business credit, etc. So I encourage you to talk to experts who deal in that particular space. Number seven, form a partnership with another organization where you guys put in monies together to acquire a building. Everybody owns the property equally. Everybody has space that is uh, assigned to them in the building and everybody's responsible for paying their fair share of the mortgage, the expenses, etc. And then lastly, you can take out a line of credit if your organization qualifies uh, for a line of credit. Now, we just ran through all of those options, eight ways to acquire property, eight ways to finance a property. I do want to say this part again. While these strategies are useful, they are proven, you have to evaluate the reasons why you want to purchase a property. What is the rationale for you making this request? Why is it that you're asking your board to approve the purchase of something so expensive, an asset so expensive as a property? Is it to do, uh, to do programming? Is to generate revenue? Is it for vain ego reasons or some other reason that I didn't list? For whatever reason, you got to know why you're doing this, but you also in your plan have to accommodate for the maintenance and the sustainability of this particular property. There's no bigger detriment in a community when a new nonprofit moves in, acquires a building, has a ribbon cutting, gets everybody excited, and then 12 months later they're closing because they can't pay their utility bill. They can't pay their gas bill. They can't pay their staff because they had to pay the mortgage and the staff quits and the program is no longer useful. Consider those things, guys. But with that being said, I want to reset the room really quickly and then I'm going to add, uh, take on any questions we have in the room. Uh, guys, stay tuned. I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. William Clark, your host of the Nonprofit Funding Tips Club, and I'm glad to have you 
uh, in the house with us today. And I'm glad to uh, continue our conversations in this club. We talk about nonprofit fundraising, and our goal is to simplify fundraising strategies for nonprofit organizations without chasing funders. And I'm super excited to have that conversation with you today. As you guys enter into the room or and as you stay longer and engage in the content, a couple of housekeeping rules. Number one, if you want to have a conversation with me while the teaching is going on, go ahead and tap my profile and then tap the paper airplane to send me a message through the back channel here in Clubhouse. If you prefer to chat with me via Instagram, tap my profile again, scroll to the bottom, tap on my Instagram a link there and send me a direct message there and I'll be glad to communicate with you through either mechanism. If you have a question while the teaching is going on, please raise your hand and let me know that you want to come to the stage, ask a question and or engage in a conversation about your nonprofit and your fundraising goals. Lastly, if you want to schedule a free consultation with me, those consultations are free. All you got to do is go to drwilliampclark.com. Again, it's drwilliampclark.com. Click on schedule a free consultation, select a date, a time and fill out the survey and we will meet on the date and time that you select. I'm super excited to have you guys in the room, super excited to continue our conversation around nonprofit fundraising and everything involved with that. With that being said, let's get back to our teaching. All right, being, uh, that being said, Raj, you just heard the magic of the road procaster. So, yeah, we're working it here today. want to welcome you guys into the room. Chris, Lakeisha, Natalie, Ross, thank you for being on stage. Uh, Tony, Nicole, Kareen, Tiffany, and Rushan. Hopefully I said your name correctly. Welcome into the listening lounge. Uh, let's go ahead to our audience here, those who are on stage. Chris, uh, what are your questions, comments, or reflections about this topic? So uh, I'm listening in and kind of this kind of comes right on time as we do our annual planning across the board. Um, we a big portion of uh, our long term goals for WIM. Um, and I don't know that I've talked to you very much about WIM. Have I? It's a women's business group. No. Okay, so uh, my sister Ray and I own Women Entrepreneurs Mingle, and it, it came, it started as like just a side project. Um, really, she was looking for business friends uh, as like a free Facebook group, but it's grown into something a lot bigger, and it has a apprenticeship attached to it, and um, so long term, we are building an incubator and, um, next year our goal is to set our foundation so that we're able to, uh, start, you know, break ground and, and start on that in 2023. So like listening to this kind of gives me a little bit of insight as to what we're in, in for. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. We definitely got to talk about that more, um, as we do more rooms together. So, um, yeah, just be thoughtful about, you know, if there is a true need for a building at this time. Um, a lot of people I think don't appreciate the power of property control. Right. And so what that means is it's another way of saying that you have the ability to control a property, i.e. through a lease, uh, a rental agreement or acquisition. And it can be very lucrative to control space if you know how to structure that agreement for the benefit of your organization. One of the things that I think is lost is that people feel like they have to, quote, own a property to feel like their nonprofit is moving forward. And I got to tell you, a lot of sizable, mature nonprofit organizations do not own property or or if they do, they don't own a property where they operate their main business. Okay. So you can do quite a bit if you just simply 
think about leasing property. Uh, and there are different ways to generate revenue, even off of the lease process there. Um, so Chris, thank you so much for sharing that. And obviously stay on stage. If you've got more questions, uh, Lakeisha, how are you? What's your question or reflection here? Um, <laughs> I wanted to say that was really good. I wish it was on replay. Uh, but my other thing was, I want to see if you would be interested in having, um, moderators help you with maintaining the audience and your speakers when they come up on stage. I just want to offer that to you to see if you're interested. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the offer. And then to respond to the first thing, right? Um, it is on replay. It'll be on the Dr. William P. Clark podcast shortly. Uh, so you guys can listen to this and every other uh, podcast that we do here in Clubhouse and everywhere else uh, by going to your favorite podcast platform and uh, search Dr. William P. Clark show and it'll be right there. Perfect. Awesome sauce. Natalie, what's up? I'm at work just listening. <laughs> simple, simple to the point. Got it. Yeah, I'm listening. I mean, your your the topic um, is something that I want to get a property for a nonprofit, and uh, so I just want to listen more on how to do that. And your eight examples were great. Is that are you going to talk in depth on them at this time, or are you just looking for questions from? Uh, I sure can. If you got a specific question on any of the eight, I can dive a little deeper if you want. Well, I'm just now starting to get into the mindset of, how do I say it? I'm just trying to get in the mindset of acquiring property. And yes, I have heard of people getting property for a dollar and it makes total sense that you need to be able to maintain it after you get it for that dollar. Um, but how, my guess for me is I'm just trying to figure out a way to approach the person who owns the building or the development company that owns the building that's just sitting there. And how, who all do I need to get surrounding me to be a part of? I think we lost you there, Natalie, but I think I got the, the, the crux of your question. So let me just clarify the dollar purchase that most people talk about really is connected to your town, city or municipality. The city owns property that's been abandoned, vacant for some time, and they are disposing of properties for a dollar. But you have to, in many cases, come to the table with a development plan, a redevelopment plan. So how are you going to turn this vacant property into a property that is no longer an eyesore? And in some cases now can be added back to the rent roll of the city so it can make revenue to pay for roads, cleanup, sanitation, fire, police, etc. Now, that's that's different from approaching a general developer or real estate uh, investor who holds access to a property that you want to talk about or get get access to. Does that help or does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. All right. That helps. Now, when it comes to approaching just an investor who has a property that you like, whether it's on the market, off the market, listed, unlisted, underground, wholesale, whatever the case may be, uh, you can obviously spend time studying the business, the real estate uh, investment world. Uh, I have had the opportunity to spend quite a bit of time in my career in that world, owning and purchasing and disposing of property and, and did a good 
had a good time doing that. And so I talk about these things freely, but really it, it took me years to kind of learn some of these things and to master these things. So in the case where you don't see yourself mastering this stuff or investing uh, the requisite amount of time to do this stuff, then I'm going to recommend you do something that's more strategic and intentional. And that is to build your board of directors. Make sure you have a quality board and make sure one or more people on your board have this type of experience where they can help you and help the organization acquire property that can help advance the strategic direction of the organization. It is much better and much more faster to move forward with a quality and qualified board member who knows what they're doing than for you to spend time, probably wasting time trying to study this stuff on your own. You can learn it over time, but you really can benefit from a board member and then, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't suggest that consider a coach, a nonprofit coach who understands this business. Obviously, us, uh, our team at Eli Patrick uh, understands that. And so we're available for that. But really, don't, don't spend the time studying that too much, but figure out who you have in your network that can help you uh, move the needle forward in property acquisition. Does that help, Natalie? Okay, I'm going to assume that it does. Roz, what's up? What's your question or reflection? My question is, uh, Dr. Clark, hey, how you doing and everybody uh, on the stage and in the audience? Once you uh, become a nonprofit and you uh, acquire um, physical property, so far as land or a car or uh, uh, buildings, when you close the nonprofit, what happens to that property? Yeah, so thanks for that question. So just like any other asset, cash, uh, property, vehicles, whatever the case may be, it has to be disposed of uh, by way of another nonprofit organization. Um, and I, forgive me, I don't know if this is correct, but if you don't dispose of it that way, then somehow uh, you got to work it out with your city or state in terms of taxes and fees, whatever. Um, but the rules do call for dis a disposition to another nonprofit entity. That is very clear. I'm going to suggest for those who are looking to do that, uh, make sure you talk to your accountant so that it can be done properly. Uh, Cause there are folks who may shut down a nonprofit where it may no longer be taking in revenue from public sources, but may stay open because there's still an asset in the name of the nonprofit and it cannot dispose of this particular asset as fast as it will like right and so in that case you may keep on a part-time executive director you may keep on uh, a small board just to oversee this asset until things are finally closed uh, and disposed of and then the organization can finally close its doors uh, but in when you have a case like that um, just make sure you go and talk to your uh, tax professionals for specific directions for your city and for your state Does that help, Ross? Yes, sir. I just I just wanted to ask that question. I think because a lot of times people think if you acquire the property and you shut down a nonprofit that, you know, everything belongs to you. And so I just wanted to uh, bring that to the light because I had someone, a friend of mine that happened, that happened to, and like you said, they can't close it because they haven't dispersed of the property correctly. I'm Ross Jones. I'm done speaking. 
Yeah, and I will say too, nothing you own nothing as an individual when it comes to nonprofits. It is a publicly held entity. This is why it's called a nonprofit. It's not called a nonprofit because it doesn't make money. It's called a nonprofit because there are no shareholders to split the profits with. Uh, so when the prof- nonprofit is no longer functional, um, you have to dispose of it to another entity with the same designation. Let me make the rounds again, guys. Again, this is uh, Dr. William Clark, and we are in the nonprofit funding tips room. You're listening to the Dr. William P. Clark podcast as well, where we talk about nonprofit fundraising strategy and leadership. I'm glad to have you guys in the house today. Tony, uh, welcome to the stage, my friend. What's your question or reflection today? No, I was just happy to see this room and uh, and talk Chris in here too. But yeah, right on time because my wife talks about uh, doing a, a starting a nonprofit from time to time. So yeah, you're just kind of right on time, and I'll just forward your info to her, and we'll just go from there. You know, so. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate it. So let me just talk a little bit about this. Um, let me, Natalie, let me go back to you. Are you are you in a place where you can ask your questions? I know you had a question. Uh, you wanted me to break down one or another of these strategies. Did you have one in mind you wanted me to talk about specifically? No, because I'm listening to all of them. Okay. All right. Let me just look at this really quick, guys. Um for those of you, so let me just talk about number eight, right? Uh, rent to, with the intent to purchase. You can actually do a lease to purchase or just do a traditional lease and then eventually purchase the property. Let me talk about that because that's kind of the most relevant strategy I think most nonprofits can take advantage of uh, when it comes to property acquisition. At the end of the day, you want to explore that option. Now, um, I want to talk to those who talk, who have a desire to open up a shelter, a home, or anything like that for their clients. Uh, Leasing can be one of the smartest things you can do because you can control all your costs, if possible, by leasing. So, for example, if you lease the right property, uh, the landlord may be willing uh, to cover all the utilities if that's a part of his or her business model. And if you're able to have all those expenses baked into one flat fee, it allows you to budget strategically for the rest of the year, for the next 12 months. It also gives you perspective of how much you need to fundraise for this particular element of the program operations. That is your overhead when it comes to property, when it comes to space, when it comes to utilities. Now, when it comes to leasing, Depending on the program that you're offering, uh, what many may not realize is that they can make you can make a lot of your money back depending on the type of program you offer. So if you run a program that is uh, for folks who are in recovery and the recovery program is, is designed to have people learn how to live on their own while in the recovery mode and transitioning back into their community, you can charge a membership fee or housing fee, whatever you want to call it, and they pay by the bed. Uh, this fee can go back into the bottom line of the organization. And what you may realize is that instead of putting out so much money, you're actually starting to break even or start to make a little bit of money. The question you may be asking me is, well, how do I continue to make revenue with a property I own or lease? But let's talk about leasing for a moment. So we talked about uh, program fees for individuals that you may have. Now, you may lease out property. You may have a property that you leased. 
specifically with the intent of using it for youth, young adults, because you're working with the local child and family welfare system, and you may be a home that's designed for youth, young adults who are experiencing some challenges or who are part of the, the child and family system. And there's a fee that comes with that. So again, you may find yourself breaking even or pro profiting and making a profit here. But now you need to think about additional revenue sources because you want to add staff, you want to add other programs, uh, program offerings. So when you begin to operate these programs, you can also generate revenue from grants, guys. This is going back to what we are able to do as a nonprofit organization. You can operate programs that are grant funded, which can pay for rent, uh, pay for some of the space, pay for staff, pay for programmatic expenses. You can also get sponsors in the door who sponsor specific elements of your program. You can also do events. You can do fundraisers. You can do partnerships uh, with programs that come in your home or that operate outside of your home. All of that can be utilized to generate revenue. And of course, you can generate revenue from individual sponsors who feel compelled and connected uh, by your mission. They feel connected to your mission who say, I want to just give of my personal resources to support this particular effort. This goes back to why I said it's, it's power in understanding your options, including leasing. You can lease property and realize the benefits of that without having to, quote, own a property. And if you do this right, if you run the business right, you might find yourself in a position with quite a bit of revenue at the end of the year that has not been spent. Of course, talk to your tax professional on the rules around that. And with the cash that's available in the bank, you might find yourself in a position to go ahead and purchase a property. You may go ahead and finance it. You may uh, purchase it cash. You may do all types of things, but you're in a position of leverage now because you've learned how to uh, leverage a leased property. You've learned how to generate revenue from every inch of that particular property. And now you have cash sitting in a bank that can allow you to do more when it comes to property management, property acquisition. I do want to make the rounds again. Uh, Julie, what's up? Welcome to the stage. What are your questions and reflections on this topic? Wow, I am just a sponge. Thank you so much for having me here, Dr. Clark. Um, I live horizontally on a pillow, and my journey is just traveling is really hard. And so when I'm trying to plan these trips for my family, I realize I'm not alone. And I think that there is a space out there that could be created for families to be able to travel to who have disabilities, that the house has everything. And there's care staff on board, and there is something for everyone that doesn't all center around the disabled. And so I've just been turning my wheels and absorbing as much information as I can because I do think that there it's needed. And I really appreciate all of the feedback that I've received so far from your stage and your members. Um, it's just getting my heart spinning in the directions that I can go with this. So thank you for your time. Absolutely. Glad to have you in the room and welcome to this club. Glad to have you. And I hope there's continued value that's going to be added to you while you're in the room. Mario, welcome to the stage. What's your question or reflection? Um, I'm, I'm driving. That's why I didn't accept the invitation the first time. Well, first and foremost, uh, thank you for creating the room. Um, thank you for the, being a moderator and inviting me to the stage. Hi, Chris. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, I interject uh, my question. Uh, talk about the memorandum of understanding in, in uh, reference to an individual who says, I want to do a nonprofit, but I know it's a lot of work that I'm not 
I'm not ready for, but let me operate in a memorandum space where I'm able to be a, a contributor of the nonprofit and also um, utilize what my talents and abilities to expand the nonprofit's platform in, in whatever way or capacity I can do it. Yeah, I think I understand your question. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Mario. Uh, this is Mario. I'm complete. Um, you can mute me. I, I, don't, I won't be able to. Uh, uh, I'm driving, so I apologize. Please mute me. I got you, brother. Thank you for that, man. So let me just say this. I, I'm not sure that's a good idea. I think that if people are not able to commit themselves to the work, if they're not able to add meaningful value, then they might be better off just volunteering. I don't think it's necessary to go through the MOU process at this point if there's no clear value that can be added. So, for example, uh, Roz, who's on stage, she was a member of my master class, and she does she has a successful business in uh, home care. And she was looking at launching a nonprofit in that same space doing similar things. It would make sense if I was in her town or she was in my town and we wanted to do something because our customers aligned, our values aligned, our vision aligned, it would make sense for us to sign an MOU to do business together so that we can actually get this do business together, right? This means going after grants, going after contract opportunities, sharing resources, et cetera, knowing that if I refer my clients to her, they're going to get high value. And if she refers her clients to me, she's going to get the same value. So if you don't feel that confident about a person uh, who is not able to add value to the work, it might just be better off to have them volunteer to see kind of where their head is, see if they're able to add value, and then explore whether the relationship can go to its next level. So I know you're driving, Mario. If you're able to come off mute, just flash them will bring you back, but I do hope that helps. Uh, Youssef, uh, welcome to the stage. What's your question or reflection? Uh, reflection. Uh, good, first of all, good afternoon. <clears throat> um, we founded a uh, nonprofit about 2012 uh, focused on um, providing uh, moderate to low-income families um, homeownership opportunities. Uh, we work with HUD, and we also use community block grants, um, working with local municipalities or community development departments, um, you know, throughout our, our area that we're located in. And we've kind of, I took a hiatus for a couple of years, relocated. Um, uh, when I relocated, I, I made sure that I got our, our, our nonprofit um registered in the state we're in but now uh we're ready to ramp back up um what are some ideas um when you come to a new city that you can kind of engage companies and, and things like that with your mission when you say engage companies what type of companies are you thinking about well these are people that will contribute to our cause so what we specifically do is um we either build new homes, new construction, or we rehab uh, existing homes. And then we, we, we help through this program to, um, you know, it's a first time home buyers program, basically. So we use a lot of donations to help families um, with their down payment assistance. We help them also, um, you know, we can use some of it towards our budget for the rehabs or new construction. Uh, and we also engage in companies like, you know, coming in and talking about home ownership, uh, talk about, you know, all the things that goes into a new 
home buyer experience, how to maintain homes, importance of taxes, escrows, all those type of things. So that that that's specifically what we do. All right. So that's a great question. So if you're moving into a new city, if you're launching a new nonprofit, if even if you're in the same city, and you've been doing the same thing and you're trying to rebrand and recalibrate things uh, with your nonprofit. One of the things you can do uh, to re to introduce yourself or to reintroduce yourself to a new donor base is to host something called a listening party. A listening party is when you gather people in a room. You can do this live or hybrid or online due to concerns over covid or even other issues. Right. Where you may want to a broad base of people but it's hard to get to you due to the time of the event but you can host this event and have people come and uh, attend this event to hear you talk about the mission of the organization the listening party is all about you sharing uh, what's going on with the organization and conveying value to this particular audience some people turn it into an entire shindig some people use it as a happy hour some people use it as a finger food option some people just use it as a simple hey let's talk and share type of event whatever you want to do be creative Creative, do something that's um, that that fits your personality and personality of the organization during the listening party you want to go ahead and start to have this conversation and talk about the organization it's it's past its future what it's done who it served the results it's achieved and where it's going and when you begin to talk about where it's going you want to talk about this imagined future this crazy outrageous futuristic future that you have in mind for this organization and quite frankly it can't be achieved without the support of everybody in this room so you're going to conclude the listening party with an offer and an ask the offer is to help us reach this vision the ask is that we give that you as a, a person who is here as a attendee that you give uh towards this cause at a certain dollar amount now one of the things that we teach our clients to do is to teach your particular donor how to give to your organization so when you have this listening party you may ask for let's say 2022 dollars right which is something you just pull out of a hat right you want to add value to why you're asking for that amount of money but when people are listening to you some people are going to have it and going to give it right now some people say they want to delay it but they're going to be a majority of people who are going to look at you and say, you know what, uh, Yousef, you crazy. First of all, you know me. Second of all, you know I don't have $2,022 in the bank. So then your job as the fundraiser in chief at that event is to teach people how to give that particular amount of money. And we teach our clients how to maximize the tithing principle. And the tithing principle simply is teaching your donors how to give that amount of money over a bi-weekly, bi-weekly uh, timetable. Everybody gets paid every two weeks for the most part. If you break that down in a 2026 20, pay period, that's simply $77.77, right? So I'm asking all my friends and my donors and potential donors and supporters to give $77.77 for this worthy cause to help us do this. Okay, so you got to teach them how to give simplify. This is the purpose of this podcast this is the purpose of this room to teach you how to simplify fundraising. When you do that, you're going to you're going to get different reaction, a different reaction than you asking people to give two thousand twenty two dollars at the end of this particular event. And then Yusef going to encourage you don't do this event once. Do it again, right? Because there's some people who couldn't make it, but will make it for the next one. And then they're going to be people who did make it, who enjoyed it, and then they're going to invite their friends. And you're not going to let people go until they get give you the names of five people who you think who they think could add value here. The last thing I'll say to you about the listening party is uh, you're going to want to have your board there, have other people there, tell some great stories. But also, don't be surprised what people give. People may give the exact amount or make a commitment of the exact amount, and they're going to be people who want to give below that amount.
But what it's going to do is get you in a position to have a giving circle set up, ready to go. It's going to give you the experience talking about this mission, the purpose, and what you are trying to accomplish in support with your funders. And it'll put you in front of the right people, if not the first time, but the second time. If not the second time, then the fifth time, so on and so on. Does that help, Yousef? If you're talking, you'll mute yourself. Yeah, but I was taking notes at the same time you were speaking. So I couldn't <laughs> I was doing it on my phone. So I get back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the delay. Oh good. Absolutely. Man. And if if time permits, I do have a another uh question. So if you want to go to someone else, no, come on, man. Then I, I Raise your oh, okay, cool, yep. cool. Um so my other question is I have um I'm I I own a medical supply company, okay, a partner and I. And I also have my nonprofit and I want to, I have some overstock that I would like to um, give to the community. Um, Unfortunately, I can't just outright give it because we do have costs associated with it, but I I would be willing to, um, and and specifically this is uh, medical supplies. These are a mask that we normally sell in the medical establishment that I would like to donate to families, especially this time of the year, uh, given the fact that we do know that the numbers are on the rise and we have a new variant on the scene. And I just want to make sure people in our community are prepared because oftentimes they purchase masks and equipment that are inferior or, um, quite honestly, they're buying them from um, beauty supply stores in the community and gas stations. And they're lying on the... um, the packaging is lying about how the mask is to be worn, actually lying about the purpose of the mask. Sometimes these are just plain old dusk masks. And a lot of people don't know the difference because if they just look at it, they think, well, all masks are the same. But in reality, they're not. And even how they're imported in, there's a big issue we have at the customs as well. So we want to make sure that people in the community can do that. So I'm trying to figure out, we, we, want, we have a campaign that we want to start for in the private sector or just, you know, anybody who wants to donate so I can sell them at cost. But I want to, I want to be above board and communicating that the fact that I do own both companies, you know what I mean? And I'm not charging for them, but I do need to at least, um, because we do have at least at cost so that we can give them away. And I'm trying to figure out a unique way to, to kind of bring this together. You said, let me turn to rise first, uh, who is our resident, uh, medical expert. And then I'll jump in after her. Okay, cool. Thank you so much, Dr. Clark. I don't know about uh, a resident medical expert, but what I was thinking um, was that a, a lot of our people in our, as as you say, in our uh, community, take those masks and they re- they wash them because they can't afford to buy new ones. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah. They they. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. No, they wash them. So I I. I I have a church that is in a um, somewhat rural area, and they are always looking for masks. Now, I, I, I personally know the bishop and, and his churches, and he's big on, you know, helping with the small churches. So uh, I can put you in contact with him, uh, you know, to see if you guys can work together. But, yeah, the, the, biggest, the biggest thing that I see is that we wash them because we can't afford to get out there and get them. So we're trying to protect ourselves the best way we can. And with this new variant coming out, we don't need to wash 
we need to have a fresh mask. Um, yes, ma'am. Yes. yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I can utilization. I was just saying the utilization is important and in our community. What's happening and it's just moderate to low income uh, communities. They they buy these masks. They think they're protecting themselves. They're buying a dust mask. They buy black. They buy other colors, and they tend to wear one mask for a whole entire week. In reality, you should replace. If you're in a crowded space, you're replacing that mask every four hours. And if you're not, it's only a daily use. It's once every eight hours. Other than that, you need to be changing the mask. And a lot of people just don't know. So we kind of have a new campaign that we're going through. So man, that information to pass will be great because we are want we want to get these out into the community um, as fast as possible. So let me add a little bit of value here. Uh, Ross, thank you for sharing that. Yusef, I appreciate you bringing this up. There are three uh, things I want to tell you, uh, Yusef, and for anyone listening, uh, talk to your tax professional um, because I'm curious about the tax deduction that you can write off by giving this donation away. If these masks and other medical equipment have value, the donation to any group can actually benefit your organization's bottom line come tax season, which is around the corner. The second thing I'll tell you, like Rod's mentioned, there are groups who will be on receiving end of this. So if you identify the value of these donations, you might want to do an application process, just like a grant, so that these organizations can let you know how the masks will be used. And then that way, for tax purposes and for marketing purposes, you can talk about your commitment to the community. The last thing I'll tell you, too, is that not only should we consider uh, organizations that are going to give these masks out to members of the community, there are community nursing programs, phlebotomy programs, and other medical-based programs in the community that are training members of our community to serve on a front line. And I'm sure they could benefit from the receipt receipt of some of these medical supplies as well. Uh, This can be a partnership that can uh, be explored. In some cases, some of these institutions may have a budget to pay for medical supplies, but they may be on back order. Your company may be one of those vendors that they can do business with in addition to you making a donation to them. Yusuf, are you there? Yeah, that's a, yeah once again, I'm okay. taking <laughs> I was just waiting for you, Yusuf. Take your time, man. No, brother. Actually, that is a fascinating, that's a really good idea. I hadn't thought about the schools, and I do know some of them have small budgets, just like I've been working with uh, some of the school districts because some of the principals have small budgets as well. And we're a, we're a privately owned company, uh, um, and so we are black-owned. Uh, but it's a good idea because we have some of these remnants of larger orders and I know they're needed just like we've been working some, some with the, uh, uh, some of the community clinics, rural clinics and stuff like that. We've had some success in kind of, uh, working with them. Uh, and, and so, man, thank you for the ideas that, that that's fantastic. I, I appreciate that. Definitely. But you know, another good partner, Dr. Clark could be Lori Wong out of, uh, Georgia. She feeds yep. the homeless. Yep. Okay, well, I'm day. in Tucker. I'm, I'm listen, my, my our warehouse is in Tucker, Georgia, and I happen to we happen to be in Atlanta. And oh, she's right yeah. outside of Atlanta. And yep. Lori Lori feeds what two to three thousand people a day. Uh, really? Income. And yeah. she does schools as well. So um, as well, Roz mm-hmm. might have Can a you line. You that information in the back channel. I think Roz. 
Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Thank yeah, man. So I, much. I think that's a great partnership. Um, and then again, man, you know, look at, you know, the obvious, obvious benefits for your business from a tax perspective. Um, I'm not well versed on that. So please talk to your tax professional. Well, here's the interesting thing. I am a tax accountant. So for that part, I understand full well. <laughs> okay. So but... answer your own question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that part I got. But what you provided was, it was really, I was looking for a unique way to, to, bring the companies together. I was just trying to figure out, you know, you know, cause I just thought of it when I was talking to my partner and I hadn't even called my attorney or anybody like that. But when I heard, I looked, I was going through the hallway and I saw the topic of the room. I said, Oh, let me go in there real quick and see man. Tremendous value. Actually, Dr. Clark, I'm, I'm actually interested. Uh, my wife is an urban planner. And so, um, she's actually ready to take over the nonprofit. And, uh, I, think your master class would be a very good idea for us to take actually when I went through and looked. Um and so yeah I'm gonna check check it out. Brother. Let me say this to yourself. You yes, is I'm gonna make it I'm I'm gonna require that it's mandatory that you take the class. I took the class it changed my life. Oh I'm on it. Yeah yeah no sister okay. I, I yeah 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 yeah, yeah I, pre I appreciate Look, you. Oh I appreciate I'm just, you. I'm just being for real. I don't speak up much for people and, and Dr. Clark does not pay me. Let me say this up front. All I know is he's a man of integrity. And what he says he's going to do, he's, he does it. And you will not regret taking that class. That's excellent. And, and, and Lori Wong uh, does, it's called Reflections of Trinity. Uh, she does the giving away of food. And she also does like secondhand clothes. And she's right there. I forgot what part, uh, just outside of Atlanta where she is. But I mean, it's... Reflections it's, it's, of Trinity? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a well-oiled machine. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully Roz can give you a line to Lori. Um, she's active on clubhouse. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. She's, she's the bomb.com. I just back challenge you. Seth, so you should have okay. it in your, oh, um, okay, great. As well as the pastor's name. Uh, I'm, I'm giving to give you the pastor's name. He's not on clubhouse, but I will give you his name and his information. Okay. Thank you again so yes, much. Sir. You're I appreciate welcome. It. And Roz, Thank you so much for, for that uh, co-sign and, um, and those kind words. Um, with that being said, let me just make the rounds uh, for folks in the listening lounge. Feel free to raise your hand. Come to the stage. Don't be scared. Drea, Liz, uh, Santiago, Eamon, uh, Melanie, Christina, Rasan, and Marie, Sister Amber. Come on up if you got a question. Let's make the rounds. Chris, we're going to go back to you uh, as we kind of make our final rounds here on stage. Okay, so full disclosure, I was listening in, and that is all. Appreciate you, Chris. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had something, and I tried. I really good. did. I, I dug deep real fast, but it wasn't going to happen, so I just decided to go with the truth. Oh, you know what? So let's, let's do this, right? So how about you reflect on the fact that you and I are going to do a room on the 13th or the 14th? The 13th. The what is it, Chris? Help me out. <laughs> Next week. Um, that, I I would love it if it happens to be the thirteenth. Did you? That'd be great. Oh yeah, I got your full government name here in my calendar. The thirteenth. Yeah. <laughs> so <we're laughs> I was looking for the short version, but yeah, the thirteenth. We're gonna be talking about I think some communication stuff. You want to talk about what you do and what people can expect to hear in that conversation. 
Sure, sure. So, hey, y'all, uh, I do communications. I've done communications since way back, uh, technically since I was eight, but professionally since I was 14 uh, in one way or the other. And now what I do at Right Now Results is I help uh, to streamline your communications efforts so that you can reach your audiences without breaking the bank or breaking your backs. Um, and so uh, communications very often runs parallel to development. Uh, there are some organizations that have put them together. I am firmly uh, in the camp that they don't belong under the same department, but that's a whole nother thing. Uh, so we'll be talking about, uh, you know, how to gain donations and how the two departments uh, overlap and really can assist each other. Is that what it is, Dr. Dr. Clark? I'm just going to go with yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's what we're doing, y'all. All right, cool. That's what we're doing. Um, so please, guys, tune in for that. Follow Chris and myself to get that alert when we go live next week. Rise, definitely want to turn the stage over to you to talk about anything you got going on in your area that you want folks to know. Oh, basically what I've done is, is that I have created an Amazon store for caregivers. So if you guys are looking for, you know, the diapers, the, the wipes, a lot of people call me after hours and I don't mind. But what I decided was instead of me trying to, you know, I do have a short list of things that you need as you start as a caregiver. But however, as, as you have the ongoing need, I created a store so that you can you know, put it either on autopilot or order as you need. So if you go to the link in my bio, it's uh, Amazon store shop with Ross Jones. And uh, that's what I have going on uh, right now. But there's some more things coming up in 2022. And I'll make the announcements in January. Thank you so much, Dr. Clark, for the opportunity. Absolutely. Mario, final reflections. Hey, uh, Mario Florence here. Um, if you look at my bio, I have a, uh, a small snippet of what um, um, we're able to do at Financial Soldiers Network, Inc., 501c3. Um, we do financial literacy, but overall the mission is to take homeless veterans off of the streets and impact them back into their communities, uh, which they reside. So we do that nationwide. So that that is our goal. Um, we are seeking donations and property donations, monetarily and physical property. So we are combined working with HUD VASH to uh, implement somewhat of a, a, a voucher situation similar to um, Section 8. And so that's what what I got going on with the, the nonprofit. So um, the MOU thing that I was speaking of is particular because I'm in dealing with several nonprofits and to bridge uh, some type of financial literacy gap and doing that through means of educating the community about financial literacy and a caveat, a little bit about real estate and how you can catapult your, your, uh, property uh, standing where whether you are a novice investor or whether you want to be a sophisticated investor, we we will bring that to 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 those uh, that are not knowledgeable uh, using the nonprofits to to propel that. And so with the MOU, it kind of allow, allows what what Dr. Clark stated about that alignment. So that's pretty much that. Uh, this is Mario. I'm complete. Thank you for sharing that, Mario. Yusef, uh, returning to you, my friend. Final thoughts, reflections you want to share with the group? 
No, I just think this is fabulous. I, I, I think uh, once again, um, Clubhouse is worth its weight in gold because these small rooms are so impactful. And I think your title was appropriate because it pulled me in. Um, I was just checking some messages and, 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 and God blessed me with uh, a wonderful resource. So um, do you have this? Okay. I see the, I see the room. Now I just joined the club. All right. And I'll be looking to hit you in the back channel. Uh, thank you all for the information. Uh, again, wonderful room and I'll be in touch. Thank you very much. Absolutely. I just want to thank everybody that has hung out with us here in Clubhouse. Uh, you have made this podcast what it is and what it's going to be for those who are going to listen to it uh, in the replay. With that being said, guys, I'm going to use the magic of the Rodecaster Pro, play my podcast outro, uh, and we'll be on our way. But before y'all go, I could be remiss if I didn't invite you guys to be a part of our next cohort of the Nonprofit Fundraising Masterclass. This masterclass was designed by nonprofit leaders for nonprofit leaders to help you simplify your fundraising approaches and today when we had this conversation with a number of folks on the stage we talked about several ways to simplify fundraising without chasing funders and without making it too complicated so if you want to have that conversation in a more detailed way if you want to get direct coaching and support to make that happen on a regular basis for your nonprofit organization I want to personally invite you to join our next cohort, the Nonprofit Fundraising Masterclass. All you got to do to submit your application, if you're in Clubhouse, tap the link at, uh, above my head, and uh, it will take you to my main website and click on Submit Your Application to the Masterclass. If you're listening in the replay, go to nonprofitfundingstrategies.com. Again, that's nonprofitfundingstrategies.com, and we'll be glad to uh, take you on as a member of our next cohort. With that being said, guys, be well. Here comes the outro. We'll catch you guys next time. Hey everyone, this is Dr. William Clark here. I just wanted to come on really quick and say thank you for listening to another episode of the Dr. William Clark Podcast. We are here to help you uh, simplify your processes so you can triple fundraising results to support the programs that mean so much to you. Would you be so kind to like, comment, and share this particular podcast? We are indebted to you for being faithful listeners to this particular podcast show, and we want to continue to spread uh, this message to other people who can benefit from it. So please share this podcast episode and entire show with your colleagues, your friends, and people who you know can benefit from this. You can connect with us in two ways. You can go to drwilliampclark.com. Again, that's drwilliampclark.com, or you can visit us at mysixfigurefunding.com. Again, that's mysixfigurefunding.com. There you can register for our free upcoming webinar, How to Triple Fundraising Results Without Chasing Funders. It is possible, and I share with you the secrets on how to do that. Thanks again. We'll see you in the next episode.